I'm going to begin today's uh, time in the Word with what I've been doing for the last few weeks, which is starting with a psalm. And uh, today I'm going to start with, um, let me get my, get recombobulated here. Oh, I did want to say, and I, I apologize for being uh, this way. Um, I do that, put little tricks in my way so we don't forget. I mean, I'm sure in our culture we, we, we don't forget that tomorrow is Veterans Day, but I never want to pass that over um, and not acknowledge and appreciate all those who've given so much. We have, we have families in our church who are military families, generation after generation of service to this country. We all have um, friends uh, serving, at least, if not family serving. And um, I want to thank God for all the veterans, the wisdom. I, I don't know, you know, we get to have opportunities in our community where, and I'm sure it's like Middletown, USA, but, you know, that flag comes by first in a parade and those guys are carrying That means a lot to me. Um, and I know it means a lot to you too, but I just want to say in God's presence this morning as a community of faith, thank God for those who would give their lives for one another. Um, it's just like a different mission field, right? But there's some work that we're doing together, so I just want to say that before him, that we give him thanks and praise for all those who've served this country. Securing our freedom is it's an amazing thing. Um, this morning I want to begin into the Psalm 51, and... Uh, this series we're doing is called The Life You Never Wanted. It's interesting, but I'm going to just read here the first few verses of the psalm together. Or I'm going to read it. You can read along if you want. Um, For the director of music, a psalm of David. This is King David, the man after God's own heart. I love that. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Woo. I don't know if you talk to God at times like that. Here's what David said. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all of my sin. Because I know my transgressions and my sins are always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost places. Please join me in praying today. Father God, we give you thanks and praise for the chance we've had to come and just celebrate you through song, celebrate you through community, through hugs and friendship and relationship in this world. Celebrate you by partaking of the same Holy Spirit that you've poured out on your people. Celebrating you as we thank you for those who you've sent into the mission field. We pray, Father God, that today as we come to you, that you would challenge us again, that you would teach us again. And what we want today is to know you more fully. Uh, not, not some man-made thinking or construct, Father, but truth from your word, truth from your Holy Spirit that it would reveal in our hearts that no one would have to teach us what you're teaching us inside. It may be glorified because you are so good and so worthy of all praise. Honestly, Father, it's beyond us to praise you enough. And I pray today, Father, that this entire service is a thank offering to you that you would be pleased and glorified amongst all the people gathered here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
that psalm is a, kind of a, a hard one. Um, we, we often think of singing songs to God when things are going really well, you know, and maybe even we, 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 we sing songs when things are not going really well. I don't know if you've had experience of life. I recently told our leadership team here, um, it was, I had an experience where I came to this place together with you, and I needed to say the words that were on the screen. I needed to be reminded of what I believed, which might sound crazy because you go, what? But there's something in the community of faith. And so maybe you, you sing songs to God when things are going really well, or you sing songs to God when things are going really bad. You know, or maybe you cry out, but how often do we go to God like the psalmist in, in, in our most guilty times? I, I mean, not the times that, you know, things are, uh, are, are, the world is against you, you know, and, and you can cry some, like, righteousness of your own, but a time where there's no righteousness left and you're guilty. The psalmist is so profound today as he writes that we, he comes to God and just says, my sin is always before me. The crazy thing about the scripture, I'll tell you, I want to confess something else. I want to confess something else with you. We had Brian and Becky here last week and their family, and in the moment of inspiration, I believe, I thought, you know, instead of having the leadership team come up and pray, let's have the children come up and pray before they leave. And the kids came up and they prayed, and I think it was a blessing. And I quoted the verse from James that said, a prayer of a righteous person availeth much. And then I left that morning, and I went home, and I was, you know, unpacking Sunday afternoon. That's what I tend to do. And I realized that the prayers of children are no more righteous than you or I unless they know Jesus. That might be crazy, right? You go, what? Because we have this delusion that there's innocence in our birth. But the psalmist today says, no, in my mother's womb where God knitted me, I had sin already. There's one person that's not true for, but for the rest of us, it was this, there's this battle that starts even before we're born. That's not to take anything away from what happened. Praise God, I believe he uses it for his glory, instructing his children to become disciples of Jesus, to pray. Today, the psalm gives us a picture of God as a judge, you know, and the psalmist says, you judge me rightly. I don't know if you guys have ever been in front of a judge before. Anybody been in front of a judge? Oh, don't raise your hands in church about that. <laughs> oh, that's why I'm here, right? I, you know, honest. To God, God is my witness. I'm the guy that got caught sometimes, <laughs> right? Not all the time, but sometimes. But I'm also the guy that got caught and somehow found a way around it. You know what I mean? Found some political move. I mean, I could tell stories that I probably shouldn't tell. And every time I tell these stories, parents come to me and go, why do you tell those stories in front of the youth? But it's true, man. I don't know, you know. I remember when I was 18, I called the mayor of another city because I went out of a ticket I got. Three tickets, actually. And I convinced him that as a voting person now, he better listen. And you know it worked. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> he didn't check my residency. I didn't lie about where I lived. I just called and implied that I'd be voting in the next election. He might want to wrangle in his... That's terrible to confess that. God forgive me. Right? 
but it's true, you know. But I was always, you know, like, like it just, I could always find a way. Court's revision, man, it was a beautiful thing whenever you're 16 and can't get your foot off the accelerator. You know what I mean? It costs more, but hey, you're out of it, you know. I have a perfect driving record. <laughs> yeah, can you believe it? Night, true. Man, I've gotten pulled over recently. Like, it's terrible. I just, it's in me, you know. Um, like NASCAR, just turn left, turn left, turn left. You know what I'm saying? Um, the, uh, the other thing is, and this is a true story, and I'll share this with you too, and my wife, oh boy, you know, I actually have gotten put in a paddy wagon before, like with a bunch of thugs. They were also known as my friends, you know. And I was actually not guilty this time. I mean, I, I was hanging out in, in a local town around here, I won't say which one, and, and we had this tendency to, conclu- to, to get together in parking lots and turn up our radios really loud and just hang out. But we didn't drink, we didn't smoke, well, I mean, not there, right? I mean, we didn't do anything there that was illegal, and, um, but we would hang out. But it was technically called loitering, okay? And so one Friday night, we rolled up with all of our buddies, and we set the cars, and we hung out. And uh, I mean, no sooner we got out, we were sitting around, like, blasting our stereos, here come, like, the squad, you know? Like, like in a TV show, lights on. And um, we're used to this. We run off. So we're like, all right, guys, let's get out of here. Like, no, 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 no. Hands in the hood. We're like, what? And they go, we just told you guys to leave, and you came back to flaunt it. But we hadn't. I mean, God is my witness. We had just pulled up. And so here's me. I'm telling my friends, don't worry about it. They're just trying to scare us. Give me your license. Give me your keys. You know, they're doing all this stuff, right? They're just trying to scare us. Then they pulled up van up, which I didn't know what that was for, but they can hold like eight people in the back of that thing, right? And then they start putting my friends in the van, and I'm still telling my buddies, don't worry about it. They're just, this is like a scared straight program. (laughs) I was wrong. (laughs) Click, click, (laughs) you know what I mean? Manacled. And then you start thinking, because I told you I get out of my stuff, so I start thinking, my mom's going to kill me. Like, she's going to kill me. I'm not calling mom. I'm not calling my mom. And so we went, man. They did. They towed our cars. They put us in the, the, the jail, in the city jail, you know. And, and uh, a few other parents came up and were outraged. And so they, they let us go on our recognizances. We had to go and pay a bunch of fines for loitering in a parking lot of a store. And... Uh, but, you know, it's funny because even though I would say, and I was, man, I was saying, I'm not guilty, I didn't, but I had done it a thousand times. And I had been told a thousand times not to do it. And I did it, right? Um, I, don't, I don't know if you ever faced that. I had a friend of mine, and I think this is interesting. He, he was, um, he, he, anybody ever do jury duty before? Or want to? Anybody try to get out of jury duty? Hate doing jury? Yeah, most people, like, hate it or whatever. I, I knew a guy, he loved jury duty. He loved it. Like, it was his favorite thing to do, you know? And so he would go, and I talked to him, and he was so excited he came back, and he said, dumb, I hung the jury. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, man, I hung the jury. It was a drug case, and he's telling me all this stuff about the case. He's so excited about it, you know? And he said, everyone believed that he was innocent, but not me. And I'm like, really? Out of 12 people, you're the only guy that thought he was guilty? And this is what he said to me. I kid you not. He said, he may not have done this, but he did something. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I don't want you on my jury. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody's going to jail if you're the guy. I mean, yeah, he did something, but not that. Oh, come on, man. So that was his story. And he was so proud of himself. I hung it, man. I hung it. Well, I want to share a verse of Scripture that you may have heard before, but I want to share it with you, and we're going to jump into some teaching from Jesus. 
This is what Scripture says. Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and many of us know that Scripture from a, from a kind of a process that's known as the Romans Road. You know, you go through the gospel presentation. But this verse has weight, just like the psalmist who says, I was in sin at my birth, right? I was, I was rightly judged by you. I mean, he wrote this from this egregious place. The same truth is expounded here in Romans, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As a matter of fact, there's another um, place where the Bible says, if you claim that you're without sin, you are deceived and you call God a liar. That's a big deal, right? I mean, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Guilty. We're guilty. And that's a hard thing. And that's not something that you want to, like, live into necessarily. Well, today I want to share from the Gospel of Luke and some teaching that Jesus gave his disciples. So if you would turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, um, chapter 18, we're going to do verses 9 through 14 today. And I want to share with you because um, I'm convinced this is something we all struggle with. I mean, maybe more than anything else, we have a tendency as his followers uh, to get this wrong. So check it out with me. Verse 9 reads this way. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told a parable. Okay? Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Even like this tax collector here, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Two people go into the house of God to pray. Interesting that Jesus teaches this parable, right? And he says there's one who's the religious guy, and he's pretty confident in who he is and why he's there. He, he walks right up to the front, right? Stands right in the middle of everything. And, and, and he begins to list off the things he's not. Do you see that? He lists off the things that he is not. He says, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm different. I thank you that I'm the good kid. I thank you that I didn't do these wrong things. And then he begins to list out what evildoers do, robbers, adulterers, right? Those people. And he comes into the house of God, and he stands there in the front, and he laments all the things that he's not, and he's pretending that he's thankful for it. God, I thank you that I'm different. And I don't have problems in my marriage. God, I thank you that I'm different, and my kids are okay. I thank you that I'm different, and I'm not like all those jerks that I work with. Right? And look at what he says. To someone else in the house of God, he stands and he looks around over his shoulder and he says, 
I even thank you that I'm not like that guy back there. That guy. That's interesting. You see, in the Gospels, we have these different groups of people, the religious people, the Pharisees, right? And they were the holy people, man. I mean, I'm like, they were real. They were following God with all that they knew to do. And then you have these people who were outcasts, distant from God, betrayers of their own kind, tax collectors. And he says, at least I'm not like that guy in the house of God. Interesting. Well, Jesus goes on to teach. By the way, the tax collector's prayer, we're going to get to in a minute. But Jesus goes on to teach and he says this, I tell you that this man, that's number two, rather than the other, went home justified. Justified before God. Who did? Who went home justified before God? The one that would not look up to heaven that would not draw near of his own accord and would pound his chest and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I'm guilty. Save me. Right? I mean, not for a show, not for dramatic effect, because out here where it matters, he's desperate for God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus teaches this. Wow, that guy's prayer is justified. Not the other dude. You see, Scripture teaches us that we're all in this together. The muck of life, the sin, and we have such a temptation to begin to separate ourselves from others and pretend the, the, the stratification of sin, you know what I mean? The really bad stuff from the not so really bad stuff, right? And we begin to appease ourselves. We begin to be pleased with who we are. And I know some of you here this morning, you're probably thinking, man, Bill, why are you doing that? Because I'm following Jesus now, and I'm so much better than I used to be. Hey, guess what? Hallelujah. Praise God. Right? I am not the man I used to be. Praise God, he's changing me. And yet, our prayer of righteousness never changes. It never becomes, God, thank you. I'm not like the rest of these people. It's always, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Me, the guilty one. Jesus says, this one goes home justified. Because anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. As a matter of fact, the key to hold this, this teaching comes in the very first verse. It says, to those who were confident in their own righteousness. What else? And look down on everyone else. Those are the people that Jesus is teaching here. Right? It's a hard place to live, to be guilty. And I don't mean false guilt, you know what I mean? I mean real guilt, like for the things you did do, not the things you didn't do. The real righteousness of God. What did the psalmist say? I sinned before your eyes. I sinned against you. 
And I would say, church, I don't know if you're like me, but I believe the Bible says you're exactly like me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God, have mercy on us sinners. Have mercy. I want to walk through that Romans 3 a little bit with you. You can turn there, 783, if you use one of our Bibles. We're going to read a little contextualization for that. Paul writing to the church in Rome, and this is what he says. So what's the conclusion then? Are we any better than anyone else? No way. We have already made the charge that the Jews and Gentiles are alike under sin, right? I mean, everyone is in the same boat. There's no righteousness apart from Christ. Ten, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. I want to remind you of something we'll talk about in a minute. Nicodemus, who came to ask Jesus, he called him good teacher, and Jesus kind of rebuked him and said, how would you know what good is? Same thing here. There's no one righteous, no one who seeks God. Verse 12, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is found in their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their paths. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's what Paul writes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it is those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable before God. Isn't that a striking thing to say? Now we know that whatever the law says is for those who are under it, so that the mouths may be closed. Right? How do you mount a good defense if your mouth is closed? How do you plead to the judge or the mayor or the police officer that you're not guilty if your mouth is sealed? He says, we stand under the right conviction of God so that our mouths will be silenced before him. Nothing left to say. Nothing left to say to justify ourselves. And the second thing he says here, and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. Right? Not some of the people, not those people, but all of us will be silent and held accountable before God. I mean, that ought to give you pause. As a believer in Jesus or a non-believer in Jesus, it ought to make you stop and think about what you're doing. You will be held accountable. The entire world, Paul writes, will be held accountable before God. Verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in the sight, in his sight, by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become aware of our sin. Rather, through the law, we become aware of our sin. Here's the interesting thing, right? I talked to you about buying the field. We had an LT meeting this week, leadership team meeting, and we spent some time talking about, you know, being uh, about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. 
And he said, what do I do to be saved? And Jesus said, just keep the commandments. And he lists off, and, and, and the guy says, I've done all that. I've done all that, which is funny. And, and the verse goes on, you know, he says, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, right? And the guy goes away sad. And the disciples are so freaked out by this encounter, they go, Lord, if that dude who's so righteous cannot be saved, how is there hope for anyone else? And he ends the teaching this way. He says, with man it's not possible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's exactly what Paul's going to say here as he turns. Because, but before we, rather through the law, we become aware of our sin. We become conscious of our sin. What's another way you could say being conscious of your sin? Anybody? Another way you could say it? Guilty. I mean guilty. Not a little bit. Not sort of, kind of. Not had a bad day. Guilty. Oh, my sin has been before me since my birth. I'm guilty. There's no plea bargain and there's no arrangement. I'm guilty. I'm not better than that guy or that girl. Guilty. Paul continues. But now, a righteousness from a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. There's something that God has given his people that aside from the law that fulfills the law. Twenty-two. This righteousness. From God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, and that's the verse we get, right? But listen, 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. I had an interesting conversation with somebody about salvation and the gospel. And they said, Okay, the gospel, I get it, the New Testament gospel. You know, if, and do this, if you would, with me. Just come up and talk about the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. <laughs> you know, I love that conversation because there's only one God. But they, they made a great point, and they said, well, what about Adam and Eve? What about Noah? What about Moses? Are you telling me that all those people went to hell because they didn't believe in Jesus? And what's our answer? No. No. They didn't. Why? Because they believed in the promise. If you don't believe me, read Hebrews 11. It's the list of the saints who believed that the Messiah was coming. And that by his grace, they'll be delivered from the hand of God's enemy. That he would save them from hell. This grace that came from God is the only solution to the guilt problem we have before God. There's no other solution. It's the only way forward. And we are justified freely by his grace, the redemption that came, the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. 25, 
God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood, and he did it to demonstrate his justice, that's his right judgment, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand to go unpunished, 26. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so that as to be just, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus becomes the solution for our sin problem. That's the truth. That's the truth. We're guilty before God. We're guilty before God. I want to share one other verse and then we're going to be done. All right? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, reads like this. God made him, right? This is the church in Corinth. Jesus, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see what that says? The word actually says that Jesus became sin so that we could be free of sin. It wasn't our defense or our posturing. I got bad news for you. It wasn't even some decision that you made to be saved. Jesus saved you. He saved you in spite of who you and I were. He saved me in spite of who I was and became sin for us. But the guilt is real. The burden is real, and Jesus took it on the cross. Why he's worthy of praise forever? So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God, right? I mean, do you see my error with the whole prayer thing? It's not our righteousness. It's Jesus' righteousness that answers prayer. It's his holiness that calls us into better things. It's his spirit that compels us forward, that we might become the righteousness of God. Many of you know John 3.16, but check it out, John 3.18. This is what, we, we, none of us, not many of us know this, but this is what John 3.18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Man, that's good news, right? If you believe in Jesus, you are not condemned. 